High Praise Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. I want to talk a little bit today about unity. Somebody shout unity. Come on, somebody shout unity. Uh, Unity is part of God's game plan. It is part of something that God wants us to live in, act in. Unity needs to become second nature to us. I don't have to think about if I'm going to walk in unity or not. I just walk in unity because that's the character of who I am. Because I've been made and fashioned to be in the image of Jesus. And Jesus is the picture of unity. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. If there's nothing else that's a greater picture of unity, the Godhead and the Trinity is an incredible picture of unity. So the reality is this. We are created and crafted to walk in unity. Now, when I'm talking about this, this scripture we're going to read might seem a bit bizarre and obscure based upon what we're ministering on. But y'all just hang with me. We're going to go on a little journey today. Is that okay? We may get a little bit nerdy. Or is that all right with y'all? All right, well, I don't have another plan, so if it wasn't okay, that's what we're doing anyways. Genesis 11, verse 1 says this, Now the whole earth had one language, say one language, had one language and the same words, say same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves, say ourselves. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for who? Ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth which is what God actually told them to do, was to scatter abroad the face of the earth. But they said, let us build a city for ourselves and let us make a name for ourselves. Verse five, then the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language. Say, confuse their language. Come on, say, confuse their language. Confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad. For there over the fa- excuse me, from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So, you may be going, what in the world does this text have to do with unity? And how in the world does this end well? Y'all hang with me. We're going to end in the New Testament. The Bible is constantly uh, foreshadowing things that are to come. And it is also constantly showing us a mess. And then in the New Testament, how that mess is cleaned up. So in this text, the world has one language and they have one voice. 
Unity is an absolutely powerful force. Yet we see here in the Tower of Babel, even in unity, their hearts were wrong. Did you know that you can be in unity for the wrong purposes? And God doesn't just bless unity. He blesses unity for the correct purpose. He doesn't just bless people who get together and have a common goal. He blesses it when the common goal is a kingdom goal. There were plenty of people who walked in unity and were powerful because the principle of unity works regardless. But they were not blessed by God because it was not for the right purpose. Nazi Germany was unified for a purpose. And they had a level of effectiveness. But it was not for a correct purpose, and it was not blessed by God. And ultimately, anything that operates in unity outside of blessing will crumble. I'm going to say that again. Anything that operates in unity outside of blessing will ultimately crumble. And we see that their thinking is wrong here in what they say. Let us build ourselves. Ourselves. Let us build ourselves a city and make a name for ourselves. Their focus was not on the Father. Their focus was on them. And anytime your focus is not on the kingdom and your focus is on you, you won't live in unity for very long. You may be able to do it for a little bit, but you won't do it for very long if it's not for a kingdom purpose. Y'all hang with me. We're going somewhere good. Don't freak out. We see that in Babel. God sees the tower. And God says, we see here, nothing that they set out to do will be impossible for them. God understands that even whenever people are doing it for the wrong reason, they can accomplish incredible things. They're just not the right things. So God confuses their language. Who confused their language? Who did it? God confuses their language because they were united for an incorrect purpose. So like I've said, there's power in unity, even if for the wrong reasons. How much more so would it be for the right reasons? These verses, they tell us this, that we can accomplish much more when we work together rather than when we're divided. We accomplish more when we walk in unity. But what really is the sin of Babel? Their sin is this, trying to make a name for themselves absent of God. We only need ourselves. We don't need God. They're living in rebellion. They're not doing what God told them to do. Hmm? We can accomplish whatever we want to build and whatever we want to do without him. Whenever you remove God from your working, even if it's in a unified manner, the result will ultimately be confusion and chaos if you don't get him as your focus and as your goal. Y'all with me? So I want y'all to hear... Hear the way I say this, and hang on, because we're going somewhere to good. We're going somewhere good. So in the fall, because y'all know this is after the fall of man, in the fall, under the curse, what happens? God comes, and he diversifies their language, and he brings diversity to them, and diversity inside of the fall leads to division. Okay? Y'all see that? Diversity is a good thing. Don't misunderstand me. We're going somewhere. Y'all hang with me. But diversity in the fall 
leads to division. And ultimately, let me put it this way. People who are self-seeking will ultimately, in diversity, end up living in division. Y'all are being real quiet today in this Presbyterian church. Y'all hear me? I'm going to say it again. People who are not, excuse me, people who are selfish, that are living in a fallen manner, if you put them in the midst of diversity, it will lead to division. You want to know the root of every ism that we have in culture? Racism, sexism. It is selfishness. It is thinking of you over somebody else. It is elevating me over we. Come on, somebody. So what happens is if you put a selfish person in the midst of diversity, division will be produced as a secondary byproduct. That's the problem we have today. You know why we have so many problems with, with isms in our culture? It's because we live, America is an incredibly diverse place. It's an incredibly diverse place. And I praise God for that diversity. But we also have a lot of selfish people. And whenever you put selfish people in the midst of diversity, it will produce division. That's what happened in Babel. Let us build for us. God brings diversity and it divides them. Y'all still with me? Y'all seeing this? We're going to end good. God do. God judges Babel. What is the judgment? He brings diversification in the midst of them to confuse them. But listen, we so often, I know this is a little bit different message today, but we're, I, I promise I'll keep reassuring y'all because I can feel y'all being like, well, what are we doing? We're going somewhere good. I promise. We so often misunderstand God's judgment because we don't understand God's judgment. Because we don't think about judgment, we think of punishment. And God doesn't punish, God judges. What, what is a judgment really? Judgment is this, to set things and to make things right. When there is a judgment, the intention is not to punish. The intention is to set things and to make things right. Okay? If a judge makes a ruling in your favor, it is generally not to punish the other party. It is to make things right in the way that you have been wronged. We have a hard time even fully understanding this because our legal system doesn't really entirely work this way. Our legal system generally works by punishment more so than making things right because as mortals, there's only so much we can do to make things right. But God is not mortal and he can make all things new and make all things right. That's why in the book of Revelation, it says that he will wipe away every tear because God's not just going to put you in heaven forever. He's gonna set things right and make all things right and every tear that you've ever cried will be made right and there'll be restitution made to you. <laughs> he will make all things new and he will make all things right. So God, whenever he diversifies Babel, it is not a punishment. It is a judgment to set and make things right. But God is going to fix the mistake of Babel. He's going to fix the mistake of Babel. The same way that whenever Adam fell... As an imperfect man, what did God do? He sent a man who would be perfect to fix what Adam's mistake was. God is always in the business of fixing things that are messed up.
He's always in the business of fixing things that are messed up. Are y'all get anything out of this today? I know this is a little bit heady, but. You think about David. I, I, y'all, some of y'all have heard me preach this before. David, we, David, mighty man of God. David, praise God, killed the giant, played the harp, slept with a woman who wasn't his wife, sent her husband out to the front line to get killed after that. Couldn't build the temple that God had promised him because too much blood was on his hands. David, the mighty man of God. David was problematic. If your favorite Bible character is David, David's one of my favorite Bible characters. But not because he was perfect. Because of how jacked up he was. And God still used him anyways. It's like people, people love Paul. I, I love, and I love reading Paul. But Paul makes me, concerns me, because Paul's like, I lived the law, I did it all, da 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 da. Brilliant. You know the disciple, I like Peter, the cussing fisherman. Because if God could use Peter, the violent, denying, cussing fisherman, I look pretty good in, in comparison. Peter makes me feel good about where my life is right now. Can anybody say amen? amen? Paul, I can't measure up to Paul. I should read Paul sometimes and go, that is incredible, and I have no clue what Paul is saying right now. I read Peter, and I go, that guy, he's got problems, and I can relate to him. And God used him anyways. Bless God. David's messed up. David's jacked up. He's got all these issues, all these problems. I won't go too far down the road, but... The reality is the way that we've read David and Bathsheba is not what happened with David and Bathsheba. We read David and Bathsheba with Bathsheba as the seductress on the rooftop. She knew the king was going to be there, and that Jezebel of a woman showed him some skin to get him. She invited him to dinner. Read the text again. David's on the rooftop, and by the way, Bathsheba lives close enough that she can, that David can see him. You don't just buy a piece of property next to the king. The reason that they live so close is because Uriah was one of David's mighty men. When everybody else was trying to kill David, Uriah had David's back. And this is how David repays him, by going and being a peeping Tom on his wife and then sending people to go seize her and bring him to him. Well, praise God. Uriah, I mean, excuse me, Bathsheba was not the aggressor in this. David was. We need to redeem Bathsheba a little bit and realize that she was really the victim in this situation. She was on the roof bathing for a reason. It was a ritual bath that women would go through every once a month. You can figure that one out for yourself. And water had to be collected naturally. Rainwater generally in a tub. David knew what was going on and David went to go have a look. All right, y'all don't shout me down because I'm preaching good today. Y'all me talk about David killing the giant. We can all shout and I talk about how you're David and all that stuff. We can do that too. But today, and then we fast forward to the New Testament. I'm going over this. We're talking about with, with, with Jesus bringing redemption. What, is, what do they call Jesus repeatedly? Son of David. Son of the king who had so much blood on his hands he couldn't build the temple. Son of the guy who went and did all of these wrong things. Because Jesus redeems and makes right. Come on, somebody. Where we mess up, he comes and redeems it for his glory and for his purposes. 
So Babel is judged, and he's making things right. Acts chapter 2. Flip over there if you're not already there. Acts 2. So we're going to get to the good part. Acts 2 verse 1. Very familiar for us Pentecostal folk. Says this. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together where? In, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues. Say divided. Divided as a fire appeared among them. And a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Verse 5. Now there were devout Jews from every nation. A lot of times we stop at verse 4. Keep reading this. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are all not, are, are these guys all not Galileans? Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figria and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, but both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? We know the story, the story of Pentecost. Shout Pentecost. They're all in one accord, in one place. Shout unity. So we see a mirroring immediately of Babel. They were in one accord, in one place, operating in unity, but they were not operating for the sake of themselves. They were operating in unity because Jesus told them, you go tarry in Jerusalem until... So while the people that built the Tower of Babel were disobedient to the voice of God and operated in unity, the people at Pentecost operated in unity in obedience to the voice of God. <laughs> There's a redeeming. There's a restoring. And God sends the Holy Spirit in that place. What place? The place of unity for the sake of Jesus. It's a perfect example of Psalm 133 in action. Very familiar with Psalm 133. How good and pleasant is it is for God's people to live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured down on the head, right? Running down on the beard and down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. For there the Lord bestows or commands the blessing. When people operate without God, it brings judgment. But when God's people begin to operate together in unity, blessing is commanded. So when people who are operating outside of covenant try to operate in unity, it will ultimately end in selfishness and judgment. But when God's people begin to operate in unity, it begins to bring blessing and favor and the kingdom being established. Y'all with me? When people operate that way, what happens is God begins to heal things. What really we are seeing here is Pentecost is the healing of Babel. Pentecost is the healing of Babel. And God is restoring in Pentecost what was messed up in Babel. And what's interesting is it's a very similar situation. People in one place, in one accord, speaking one language. And then God shows up and he divides their languages again. 
and he makes them start speaking languages that they've never spoken before. But it's by the unction of the Holy Ghost, and what happens is a revival breaks out rather than, than disunity and division and fighting. So listen, listen. Whenever God brings diversification, it brings revival. But when our selfishness meets diversity, it brings division. That's why you've got to die to you. I'm just going to say it right now. That's why people in this church generally have a choice. You get over selfishness and you die to yourself, or you're probably not going to make it because at high praise, we celebrate diversity. It's not something we tolerate. We celebrate diversity. Pastor Casey was just here on Wednesday and on Thursday, and he was remarking to me again just about how diverse the church is in race, in age, in, in, uh, in, in gender and all sorts of things. He was, saying, he was talking about our worship team, actually specifically. He said, you know, it's really incredible because most churches you go into, their worship team is either comprised completely of young people or completely of old people. He goes, and it is very uncommon, especially in worship, to see generations serve together. But in high praise, we believe in diversity. And because we're whole people, because we're people of Pentecost, I'm going to go and say, don't tell me how you're a person that is Pentecostal and you refuse to celebrate diversity. Because Pentecost is a celebration of diversity. Pentecost brought diversity, which birthed revival. Can I say this? You can't have revival without diversification. <laughs> so obviously we know this. Let me break this down a little bit. We know that on the day of Pentecost, God was somewhere good. Y'all were doubting me for a minute. We believe on the day of Pentecost, God obviously gave them a heavenly language. I mean, we believe God gave them a heavenly language. Paul said, though I speak in the tongue of men and angels, if I have not love, I have nothing. So there is a heavenly language that was released. Paul said, I thank God I pray in tongues more than all of you. What a statement. I thank God that I'm, all you guys, I pray in tongues more than you. So we know there's a heavenly language, but on the day of Pentecost, there also was a diversification of languages that were given to them to, to minister to everyone who was there for the Feast of Pentecost in their own language and in their own tongue to establish the kingdom. Babel brought division of tongues. But Pentecost took people of different languages and gave them a heavenly language and a unification and also brings this diversification for each, for each culture to hear the gospel in their language. And can I say this? Y'all follow me. Even in churches, we have to have a diversification of languages to reach every culture within a church. Because every culture has its own language. Hmm? I'm not even necessarily talking about a, a language that you speak necessarily, but every culture has its own thing that speaks to them. Are y'all with me? That's why you have to have diversity in a church. And I'm going to get to talking about unity a lot, what unity really means. But the reality is this. If you don't have a diversification of expression to reach everyone who you are called to reach, you'll fall short. I'm going to let y'all in on a little secret. Not everything we do in this church speaks to me. Hmm? Not every song we sing is my jam. There are some songs that are. 
But not every song is my jam. But it's somebody's jam. And it's a language that speaks to them. You may not understand the things that you may come in and go, I don't know why they got to have all these lights and things. Back whenever I was going to church, we had pews and we had red back hymnals and that was enough for me. And that's great. If that's your language, praise God. But there's a generation today that this is their language. And if we can speak their language to worship the Father, why would we not? They didn't... <laughs> <laughs> they didn't come out of the upper room speaking in their native tongue and said, oh, y'all need to learn our language. They began to speak their language to reach them where they were at. Over the years, we've had, if you've been here any length of time, you, you remember Pastor Jason Barber. Okay, how many of you remember Pastor Jason? You remember Pastor Jason? Love Pastor Jason and Lindley. They're incredible people. And Jason was here via the Air Force, African-American brother. Love him like a brother. Josiah, one of Josiah's first good friends is his son, Julius, who to this day, he will say, Julius is my brother. He's from, Julius is my brother. And I love that about him, that he's 13 now. Julius just turned 16. My Lord God Almighty. But let me tell you something. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. You know something Josiah never said? Julius is my black friend. Julius is my brother. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all ain't ready to go there this morning. I can tell right now. <laughs> something he didn't realize the color of his skin. It just didn't matter to him. All right, I'm going to get on a soapbox for a minute. Is that okay? Can I get on a soapbox? I'm going to do it anyway, so I'm going to do it. One of the most annoying things, I understand people's hearts when they say this. I get it, so I'm not, I'm not judging people's hearts. One of the most annoying things I hear people say, and it's primarily white people that say it, is we need to be colorblind. That's silly. That's really silly. I'm, MG is right here. I, I'm completely aware that MG is a couple shades darker than me. A few. I'm about as white as they come. When I look at MG, I am very well aware that he is one race and I am another race. And I'm not going to pretend, oh, I don't see that. No, I see it. It just doesn't matter. I'm acutely aware that he's a black man and I'm a white man. It just doesn't matter that he's a black man and I'm a white man. I'm not colorblind. I'm aware. There are differences. Are you gender blind? We don't want to be gender blind. We're speaking out against being gender blind. I'm not colorblind. I just don't care that he's different than me. He's a human being created in the image and likeness of God, just like I'm a human being created in the image and likeness of God. He's an image bearer, just like I'm an image bearer. I'm not better than him. He's not better than me. We're brothers running this thing together. All right. That's just my... You can say whatever you want to say, but as for me and my house, I'm not colorblind. Color just doesn't bother me. It doesn't affect me. I can run with anybody. So back to, back to Jason. I was going somewhere with that, and I got distracted. Back to Pastor Jason. For years and years, we did a song, and some of y'all, I'd go like this, and some of y'all know immediately what we're going for. That's the OGs right there. We were talking about this a couple in staff this, this week. Whenever I led worship, we had just, dad had hand signals from the front and we just, we just knew 
And Micah was on the drums. So I just look at Micah and nod. He just nodded back and we knew where we were going. That brother thing. But there's a part in Conquering King, which is that song. That's hence the, the crown. Conquering King. And there was a part in that song that Jason rapped. And everybody went crazy. I'm going to let y'all in on a spoiler. A little behind the scenes thing. I am not a fan of rap music. Don't really care for rap music. Rap music doesn't really speak to me. It's not my genre. I will put it above country, but barely. All right. Not my genre, not my thing. That's, if it's your thing, that's great. But you know what? We would have Jason up here and he would do that. You know why? Because it was a language that spoke to some people. It may not have spoke to me, but it was a diversification that spoke to somebody and it let them know something in their language. Come on, somebody. And it expressed something about the king and the kingdom in their language. We can't be selfish and think everything has to be catered to us. Not everything has to be catered to you. Sometimes you can just sit and cheer on somebody else receiving something in a moment, and there's going to be something for you in a minute. Come back next week. There'll be a different flavor for you. Y'all with me? Got to speak different, a different language. For some people, suit and tie is the language that they speak. My dad. My language is a jean jacket. Bless God. All right, so the young people are like, yes, pastor, yes, preach. <laughs> That's my language. There's nothing wrong with his language. His language is good for him. <laughs> nothing wrong with it. He told me one day, he goes, I just, I like wearing a suit. I said, that's great, dad. You wear a suit every Sunday. But that's not my language. Y'all with me? We all have a different language. We all have a different, every culture is different. Every generation is different. And we're not going to just minister to one culture, one generation, one gender. There has to be a diversification of tongues. And that is what brings about unity, which births revival. Are y'all getting something out of this thing? I'm getting excited. One message came from a multitude of language. The preaching of the gospel in multiple languages to point people towards Jesus. It's the healing of Babel. A unified message came through diversified tongues. God, God then brings unity where there was once division, which is why God, in the, in the New Testament, it talks about, one of the things in the New Testament says that God hates is one who sows discord among the brethren. It's an abomination to him. You know why? Because God did a lot to restore unity. He did a lot to restore unity. And now as people, if, if we want to say that we're people who live free of the curse and the fall, then you better live in unity in the midst of diversity. Because it was people living in the fall that when diversity came up, they brought division. We got to live in unity. I've already said it, but at High Praise, we celebrate diversity. We celebrate racial diversity. Can I just let y'all know, I'm glad I don't go to church with a bunch of white people. I love, I, listen, I'm white. I'm not hating all white people. I am white. But I'm glad I don't just go to a church with a bunch of white people and white people only. I'm glad I don't go to church with just a room full of black people. I'm glad I don't go to a church that's full of Hispanic people or Asian people. I'm glad that we have a diversity because guess what? Heaven is going to be diverse. 
And if the church is called to be a reflection of heaven, we better live in diversity now, or you're going to be like, I don't want if I want to be in here. We got to live in diversity. We celebrate racial diversity. We celebrate gender diversity. I'm glad my wife is different than me. Come on, somebody. I'm glad she's not like me. I could, we could, I just got to move. I'm going to embarrass her. We celebrate generational diversity. And we walk in unity. Y'all know on most Sundays there's four generations of my family that's here. My grandparents are right here. Obviously my, my mom and dad are normally here. Myself, my wife, and then our kids. We celebrate generational diversity. Because we need each other. Y'all heard me talk about it before. A church full of just young people is going to be a really stupid church. I'm just being honest. It's going to be a dumb church that makes a lot of dumb choices and has a lot of dumb mistakes and got a lot of problems. You need some old heads who've seen some things. Come on, somebody. Some people who have some wisdom that can say, I went down that road, son. That's not the road you want to go down. We need each other. And we got to operate in unity, not fighting against one another. There's been too much fighting in the church over the years. We fought over instruments. We fought over dress. We, and I'm talking about us, our church. I'm saying just universally. We fought over everything. You got to have unity. The reality is, I've already talked on this a little bit, but when we go to heaven, it's not going to be homogenous. You're not going to turn into a glowing white orb in heaven. Well, somebody got their wings. No, they didn't. You don't turn into an angel when you die. That's ridiculousness. Somebody so-and-so gained their wings. What are you talking about? In Revelation, when John is brought to the throne, he says this. He, saw, he says, I saw every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, and every nation singing glory and honor to the Father forever. I want you to think about that for a second. When John sees the throne, there's something about John and what he sees that when he sees the people, they're different. In eternity, there's something about them that he can go, oh, that person's, they're from that nation. And they're from that tribe. They're from that tongue. So I don't know, maybe they're even singing in different languages around the throne. I don't know. That's what John basically describes. Guess what? When you go to heaven, you're, everybody's not going to just learn English. I know some of y'all would like that, but that's not what John describes. I don't know how it's going to work. I just know John saw every tongue singing in unity together. Which, by the way, if you've ever been in a moment like that, you kind of understand that a little bit. If you've ever been in a moment of worship where it wasn't in your language that it was being led, but you still could feel the worship and the anointing, and it didn't have to be in your tongue for you to know that God was in the room. You kind of get a little bit of a sneak peek into what John's talking about. And I've been in many services where the songs are being sung in Spanish, and I lift my hands with tears filling my eyes because I know that even though I cannot sing with them in their tongue, that I'm worshiping right alongside them, and we're worshiping in unity in the midst of our diversification. Are y'all still with me this morning? I'm going to wrap up fast-ish. 
<laughs> the power of diversity is greater than the power of individualism. This is something that's it's been a common thread. Dad talked about it. I've talked about it. If you were here, I think on Thursday, Pastor Casey talked about it. We has got to be greater than me. We has to be greater than me. We are so individualistic. We think if it's not for us, we just don't want to be a part of it. In a local church, it doesn't work that way. There's going to be things that aren't for you, but they're for somebody else. Hmm? There's already things that aren't for me. And guess what? I was talking to my dad the other day. There's this thing I was studying about it. They said at about the age of 33, your musical taste freezes. And you do not like any new sounds. You don't like any, some of y'all are laughing right now. You're going, yeah, that's right. You don't like new stuff. You listen to the stuff from about from the time you were born till the time you were 33 and you stop. And that's where you freeze. Some of y'all are real progressive and y'all like the modern stuff and y'all are throwing it down. But for me, I tried to turn on the radio one day and I was like, I have no clue what any of this sounds like. I don't know what this is. This is not music. Turn it off. And I immediately went, 37 now, I can feel it. So guess what? There are even songs that will come in days to come in the future that may not be my language, but they'll be his language. And I'm not going to not reach him because it's just not daddy's language. Because we have to have a diversification of tongues reaching every generation, every race, every segment. Can't make everything for an audience of one person. The only one that the audience is for is him. The kingdom is releasing heaven on earth and heaven celebrates diversity. I'm going, I'm going. Listen, here's the thing. Walking in unity today, which we're called to walk in. We're called to be part of community. I mean, you know, you're called to be part of community. Community literally is common unity. It is people of differences coming together for a common purpose. It is people of differences coming together for a common purpose. That is community. If you want to be a person of unity in community, you have to be with people different than you. By its very definition, unity can really only exist in the confines of diversity. Because if it is not existing in the confines of diversity, it is not unity, it is conformity. And the only thing we are called to be conformed to is the image of the Son. You're not called to be conformed to my image and my taste. You're called to be conformed to the image of the Son. And we're going to have different tastes, and that's okay. There is community. And let me just say this. In community, you don't leave just because somebody thinks something different than you. Because there is something bigger that unites you than that which might divide you. Honestly, I was thinking about, I was, I was telling, I think, Castle about this before church, Pastor Castle. I said, every fandom of a team, we're in college football season, every fandom of a team is a community, right? Gator fans, y'all have a community. Noel fans, we have a community. Y'all better slow the chomp today. Y'all don't be doing it too big today. <laughs> I'm messing with y'all. 
Florida State fans, there's a community. I've been to some games before, and you'll start high-fiving people that you don't know who they are, where they've been, what they do. Because there's a common unity you have in the moment of your cheering for a team that's bigger than any disunity you may have, than any differences you might have. Yet people, if they meet somebody in the church and they don't like what they think, they're out the door because they think different than I do. Welcome to the world. If you've ever met anybody who thinks exactly the same as you, they're lying. Married people, y'all should really know this. Your spouse does not think like you. But you got to live in unity. Because what is your commonness? You love each other. And that's a, that is a common factor that is greater than any differences you have. As a church body, we've got a vision to equip believers, to build families, to further the kingdom of God, to see this area reached with the gospel of Jesus and see people restored and lives changed. So do you think differently than me? Probably about some areas. Do I think differently than you? I'm sure I do in some areas. But there's a commonality that is greater than any difference we have. So we're going to live in unity and in community, and we're going to see God do incredible things because we're not Babel, we're Pentecost. We're not Babel, we're Pentecost. Your difference doesn't divide me from you. Your difference is, makes you unique from me and makes it a piece of the puzzle of what God needs to do to release what he wants to release. A band's a good example. Not everybody can be wit and play the keys. We need Caitlin to play the guitar. We need Marcus to play the drums. We need... Uh, Mark, to play the guitar. We needed John up on bass. We needed singers today. Not everybody could just grab a mic and start singing. You have your assignment, which is unique. Same thing with football. On a football team, not everybody's the quarterback. And the quarterback may be seen the most, but did you know that in the NFL, Dad was talking about how nobody knows the offensive line. I leave her mom said, I can name the entire Florida State offensive line and their backups because I'm just a nerd like that. But the reality is in the NFL, the second highest paid position is the blindside tackle. And few people know the names of those blindside tackles except the real diehards. But you know who knows their name? The quarterback. And their check cash is the same as everybody else's. Just because nobody knows your name doesn't mean that you're not important on the team. Everybody has to fulfill their role in order to accomplish what God has called them to accomplish. In other words, if the, if the line doesn't block, the quarterback can't throw the ball. And by the way, the O-lineman does not need to try to be the quarterback. And the quarterback doesn't, try to need to, doesn't need to try to be the O-lineman. Everybody needs to fulfill their own role. Now, you might be different. That's okay. You might be different than me. That's okay. Because the reality is this, there's effects of walking in union. Let me give you these real fast and we're closing when we begin to walk in unity, there's blessing and anointing. We've already talked about it. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant is the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil running down the head and even on the beard of Aaron, even to his garments. Oil is always significant of the anointing. If you really want to be anointed, operate in unity. Love somebody different than you. You really want to be anointed, you don't just need to pray harder. You need to walk in unity more. 
you want to be blessed, there's a lot of things you can do. But let's start with walking in unity. Because the Bible says God commands the blessing where there's unity. Hmm? Y'all with me? Next thing is this, productivity. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil or for their labor. There is greater productivity when we walk in unity together. There's greater productivity when we walk in unity together. Let me just say this real quick too. You don't have to necessarily agree with somebody 100% of the time to be in a foxhole with them. You can be different. There are people in this room right now that if I was in a, in a tough spot, that they'd be people I would call and say, hey, I need you. I need you to pray for me. I need you to have my back right now. Going through something. Going through some difficulty. Going through some trial. Going through whatever it is. And almost all those people are older than me, first of all. In a different generation. Completely different generation. One of them is a different race. Pastor Gil Sanchez. Puerto Rican. I am not. I am white, white, white. Pastor Paul is 20 some odd years older than me. And I would never wear those green pants he has on. <laughs> I'd wear the socks. I can say that to Pastor Paul because he knows I love him. The reality is this. There's people, they're different than me. You don't need some people who are just like you to have your back. You need some people that you can walk in unity with. One of my best friends in the world. Contrary to what some people think, we don't agree on everything. We disagree frequently. But that's okay. Because he knows that I've got his back and he knows that I've got my. And it's, it's, it's reciprocal. Let's put it that way. I forgot which way I said it. <laughs> I've got his back and he's got my back. Pastor Casey Doss, another good friend of mine. We don't agree 100% of the time. It's all right. Because there's a commonality that's greater than our differences. I know I'm drilling that, but you've got to get it. You've got to get it. You've got to get it. And if you want to know who's on your team, who's on your side, Get in a tough spot and see who's there with you. And people like Paul and Gil, people like Casey, people like Reed, they've been with me when I've been in tough spots. There's more of y'all. I'm just naming a few. I remember who was, the, I, I remember whenever, whenever we were in, in Tupelo, Mississippi, or we were actually in Hamilton, staying in Fulton, Mississippi, and our son was two and fell and split his head wide open. I couldn't get a hold of anybody to figure out where we needed to go because we were in Fulton, Mississippi between Hamilton and Tupelo. And I couldn't get my own phone. I finally got Karen Wheaton on the phone of all people. I said, where do, what hospital do I need to go to? Because I can see his skull. She says, well, Hamilton will probably be okay. So I went to Hamilton. Casey showed up and I said, dude, you've got a conference going on right now. You need to go to the conference. He goes, no, there's things that are more important than a conference. There's things that are more important than a conference. And right now I'm just going to be here until he gets out and we're, we can go back to the ramp then. Because whenever you're in a tough spot, who's with you? Who's got your back? Who's walking in unity with you? In the, uh, I got to move. 
There's greater productivity than what the other. Last thing, longevity. A house divided against itself cannot stand. If a church is divided, it will not accomplish what it's purposed and what it's supposed to accomplish. It will not be everything God wants it to be if you can't walk in unity. So let me ask you this in closing. Come on, Ben. How many want to see God do something incredible in your life? Come on. How many want to see God do something incredible in your life? How many of you want to see God do something incredible in this church? How many of you want to see God bring blessing and restoration in this community? Well, you know how it happens? It begins whenever we begin to embrace unity. Stand up to your feet. It begins to unlock blessing when we walk in unity. It begins to unlock favor and productivity when we walk in unity. You don't have to be just like me. There's something bigger that's a purpose. Jesus and his kingdom being established within the earth. So we're going to walk in unity and we're going to watch blessing and revival be released. We're going to watch it be released. We're going to watch God do incredible and amazing things. Will you lift your hands to heaven? I just want you to pray with me today. Say, Father, come on, say, Father, I thank you today that I'm going to walk in unity. I repent of any area in my life where I've allowed division to reign. And I say that today I'm embracing unity. I'm embracing diversity. I'm embracing the kingdom. I know I'm not living in Babel, but I'm going to live in Pentecost. I'm going to live in healing, and I'm going to live in blessing release this day. Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.